we're going to do two things real quick. Number one, I want to, I want to give a defense or an answer to just one very overarching, popular, cultural, um, what's the word I want to use? Cultural slogan that we all swim in. And even though most of us would say, I'm not that, it affects you. Okay. One cultural flavor that permeates everything that we taste. Uh, it's the air we breathe in America. Okay. And so I want to give a defense biblically to, to this phrase. And then I want to unpack baptism for you. So just those two things. One, I want to give an answer or a defense to, to one very popular, pervasive cultural statement. And number two, I want to unpack baptism for you. And then we are going to witness three people get baptized and, and show the world I belong to Jesus. And I'm so excited about that. So what is the repeated, powerful, contemporary, cultural message that you hear day in and day out? Here it is. In its various forms, you have to be true to yourself. And you heard that before? Okay, I hope, parents, you're not giving that to your kids because that's not helpful. And I'm going to show you why that's not helpful, okay? It can look like this. You need to pursue what will make you happy. You must give outward expression to your truest self, which only you know and only you can truly define. Who you are on the inside is the truest you, and that being expressed to others is you being authentic. That's you being your truest and real self. And to suppress that or to pretend that you're not your truest self is actually some form of self-oppression, or if others are telling you, you can't be that you shouldn't do that. That is not good. Then others are oppressing you. Others are holding you down. Others are keeping you from happiness. Why? Because they're squashing, hindering your true self. And so I'm assuming all of you understand what I'm saying because it's the air we breathe. All right. I want to give you two cultural expressions that kind of give weight to what I'm talking about here. Um, in its extreme form, and I'm, I'm guessing most of us don't wrestle with this, but maybe some of our family members do. In its extreme form, you demand others to conform to your truest self. And those who will not are oppressing you, holding you back, and they want to control you. And for some, that's the God of the Bible, unfortunately. He is keeping me from my truest self. He is oppressing my inner being and he wants me to conform to his standards and not live out mine. And see, friends, that is the air we breathe from stories that our children watch on Disney. And, and look, I'm a Disney Plus uh, subscriber, so I'm guilty of feeding the machine. Uh, I watch the shows with my kids and, and hopefully I do give answers uh, to, to the error that is pervaded in them constantly. But from the time we're kids to the time we reach the age where we can choose our own Netflix shows, this is the air we breathe. It really is. Christians who belong to Jesus Christ have said, I live in a different kingdom. 
The Bible says there are literally two kingdoms in existence at the same time. One, an invisible reality, but just as real as the physical one with mangoes and oranges and bananas and rice and chairs with you know, foam and, and fabric on them. Just as real as when you cut yourself, you bleed. There is an invisible world that the Bible talks about that is present and real and there is two dimensions to that unseen realm. There is a good dimension. We would call that the kingdom of light. The Bible would call that the kingdom of God. And there is an invisible dark reality called the kingdom of darkness or under, under the, the dominion and rule of Satan. And yes, Christians believe in a real a personal evil named Satan, a person who is the epitome of evil, the opposite of all that is good. God and Satan. Now, Christians have said we have been removed from the kingdom of darkness and placed into a different kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus, and his rule and reign is gladly welcomed over us. Notice the difference. If your mission in life, according to our culture, is to find your truest self and then express it, then what God says should happen you should willingly submit to my rule and reign would be a form of oppression. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to think about God is that he is actually trying to oppress you. He's trying to hinder you. He's trying to harm you. He does not want you to thrive and succeed. Rather, he wants to step on you like a bug. That, was, that would be the view uh, Satan would love for you to have of the God of the Bible. Now, two quick cultural expressions of this, you got to be true to yourself. How many of you have shopped at H&M? Hopefully no guys are going to put their hand. Uh, That was a trick. That was a trick. (laughs) I love you guys. So H&M is a very popular clothing store. I'm sure you've seen their ads. I'm sure that you've seen their uh, their commercials. So they, they did a campaign recently uh, that was called be yourself and more be yourself and more. And it was a, 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 a campaign that tried to get people to work for H&M, the clothing line. Here it is. Now you can find this on YouTube and watch the video and the images that go with it. I'm just going to read you the transcript of the words. Listen, listen closely. It's one of the hardest questions in life. What do you want to be? Maybe you're not certain. Most people aren't. It makes you feel, notice that feel, like you have to be everybody else. But do you have to limit yourself to just be one thing? Be a beginner one day and an expert the next. Start asking questions and never stop looking for answers. Learn things you'll always remember and meet people you'll never forget. Listen, dare to be yourself and feel like you belong. Be here and there. Make a difference on your own and never stand alone. Be part-time, full-time, and maybe stay for a lifetime. Listen, be your true self here and now and discover who you want to be tomorrow. Now, I know to some of us, you're like, what's wrong with that? Like, that's the code of conduct I live by. Be true to yourself And what do you feel on the inside? Notice what H&M is asking us to do, which the culture is always asking us to do. Look inside. Look inside. 
look inside, find what's truest and most real and most authentic inside, and then express it, and in its worst form, demand that others conform to your truest self. Okay? Here's another one. We all love Instagram, owned by Facebook. Instagram came out with a a campaign that said, your identity is yours to make. Your identity is yours to make. In other words, uh, who, who defines you, what defines you, is you. That's identity. It's the truest you, the core of the self. What defines me? Well, Instagram wants that to be you that defines you. And so here it is. Uh, this is from uh, uh, an article by Anne Kristen Diaz, and it's called Instagram's New brand campaign says your identity is, quote, yours to make, unquote. Here's here's a paragraph from that article. Facebook's statement about the new campaign noted, until now, so much of how identity has been defined on social media is in reaction to what other people are sharing. Okay, I see you post, now I'm going to post as a reaction. Instagram is challenging us all to flip the script and consider What if your identity is yours to make? What if you could use the platform to empower you to to evolve and shape who you are rather than how other people see you? Hey, let me read that one more time and listen closely. Listen to the be yourself, be true to yourself, define yourself. Listen, until now, So much of how identity has been defined on social media is in reaction to what other people are sharing. Instagram is challenging us all to flip the script and consider, what if your identity is yours to make? What if you could use the platform to empower you to evolve and shape who you are and how others see you? So, so you see the air that's being breathed here. Now, McDonald's would want you to have it your way, or is that Burger King? Maybe both at one time used it, right? MTO, made to order according to who? You, baby. You see, you, you can have light ice or no ice or one-third cup of ice or all ice and just a little drip, right? Our culture is pervasive in it's all about you, baby, it's all about you. And I've, I've shared this publicly before. My kids have had posters in their room that literally say, it's all about you. And like they put the little things that they love, their favorite color, their favorite food, uh, their, their favorite hobby, what they like to watch on TV. And then eventually the parents have to undo the posters, right? Because they imagine life is all about them. And then they get a brother or a sister, right? And, and now all of a sudden it's not all about them. Or they go to preschool or first grade or second grade and reality just comes smashing in like a freight train. Oh my goodness, life's not all about me. But see, the message continues throughout your whole life, doesn't it? And so some form of it's all about you is given to you almost every day. And for most of us, it's like a fish in water, right? You, you ask a fish, hey, how's that water temperature? And they do a spin, some bubbles come out, and they're like, what water? What are you talking about? No water here. Because a fish only lives in water, and it knows no other existence. Now, you take a fish out of the water, 
Like, how's that air? Okay, and what, what I'm asking you to do is come up out of the culture for a minute and try to breathe. <gasps> Take a breath. And the breath I want to give you real quick is called a biblical worldview. Real quick. Okay, number two. Here's the main problem with us, especially as it concerns social media, uh, not needing anyone else uh, to, to kind of affirm us. It doesn't matter what other people are posting. You do you, you evolve, you shape your identity. Isn't it interesting that when we post something, what do we do? Who liked it? What are people saying about my post? How many people viewed it? And so what we're doing without thinking about it is we want affirmation from the outside. Do you approve of me and my posts? Do you approve of my lifestyle? Do you like the places I go, the meals I eat, the paintings I paint, the movies I watch, the Netflix shows I stream, and on and on and on it goes. And then if people ever have anything negative to say, we have the choice to either do Facebook war or unfriend, baby. I don't need this negativity in my life, <laughs> right? You all know exactly what I'm talking about because this is how it works. But here's my point. We are desperately in need of affirmation from the outside. Whether we will admit it or not, we need others to tell us we're doing good or we're doing bad. We're on the right track or we're on the wrong track. I affirm, I approve, thumbs up, baby. Or... God forbid, thumbs down, unhappy emoji. Turn that frown the other way around, right? This is the air we breathe. And so the proof is post something on your social media and then don't check it again to see if anyone said anything or liked it or gave it any reaction. It will be almost impossible for you. And that is proof that you crave outside affirmation. That is proof that it's not just all about you and you blaze the path of authenticity, expressing your truest self. We actually need and crave others to give us what we can't get ourselves. You know what that's called? Love. Love. I, we were made, so now biblical worldview, friends. Okay. So now what I'm going to do, I'm going to offer you what the Bible would say as an answer or a defense to why this is and why the be your truest self won't work. Okay. Here's why we live in a very individualistic, very self-made, very be your truest self culture. The Bible knows none of that. Okay. The Bible would say, this is not good. This is not healthy. The Bible would say you were made number one for God and to be in relationship with him as the primary relationship. And number two, you were made for other people to not just be affirmed and loved by them, but guess what? To love and serve others. What we're told from the time we are born to the time we get older is everyone should bend and serve you. The opposite is actually biblical. You exist to love and serve God and then to love and serve those around you. Jesus put it in very two succinct commands. You should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, did you know that the Bible actually tells us what we are for? Did you know that? The Bible is very clear about what human beings are for. They have a purpose, they have a design. 
okay? If you have a blender in your house and uh, you want to take that blender and try to plug your phone into that thing and charge it, it's probably not going to work unless you have one of those new Tesla blenders that is like an all-pervasive machine in the house. But most blenders are designed to blend, not to charge phones, not to be a Bluetooth device to cast onto your TV, none of that. Purpose and design matter, and God tells us what his design and purpose is for human beings. Guess where? First page of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, and specifically two verses, 26 and 27. God, in designing our first parents, Adam and Eve said this, let us, God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God speaking within the Trinity says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And did you know that the Bible says that there's only one creature in all of creation that is made in the image of God? Not animals, not aardvarks, not parrots, not salamanders, not angels or demons. One creature in the image of God you. That is why, biblically, all human beings at any stage, whether from conception or laying on the deathbed in hospice, they have dignity, value, and worth. Why? Because they're in the image of God. And so God creates human beings alone in his image, and he gives us a purpose. Look, and let them have dominion. That means God created human beings to, in a sense, act as his sub-rulers, to have dominion, domain, dominion. And we are to have dominion over what? Over the fish. All the fishermen are like, yes, over the fish. Over the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. And look, over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Spiders, yes, tarantulas, scorpions, all the creepy things, thousand-leggers, the things we don't want in our house, you know, in the bathroom when you flip the light on in the middle of the night. Everything that creeps on the earth. Look, so God created man, that is mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female made for a purpose. What? To image him, to reflect him to the rest of creation, to reflect his goodness, his love, his creativity, his mercy, his ability to reason and think and have emotion, and on and on the imaging should go. His goodness, his justice, his holiness. And we are to, in his place, have dominion. We are to take what God has made, this is unpacked further in Genesis chapter two, and we are to take those raw materials and we are to create human flourishing out of it. So the iron ore is not just supposed to stay in the earth, it's supposed to be shaped into rails and then cars are supposed to be shaped to run on those rails so they can transport human goods for human flourishing. We're supposed to mine the gold out of the earth and create wedding rings, beautiful jewelry, and all of it is to reflect God's creativity and ingenuity. He says, have dominion over all I've made. I've given you this vast earth. Now take what I've made and create culture. Culture is anything that man creates out of raw material to then create human flourishing. How many of you like your air conditioning? 
Welcome to Western culture. Okay? I uh, go to most parts of Africa. No air conditioning to enjoy, friends. <laughs> and I was just there. And trust me, no air conditioning to enjoy. You're sweating, sweating, sweating. But you realize, I live in the West and I'm spoiled. I live in America where the air conditioning, if it doesn't work, that's a problem. We're over there, at least in Uganda, if it works, it's amazing. It's like, yes, <laughs> air conditioning in a car. It's amazing. Now, I'm not disrespecting. I'm just saying we often live in a culture where we don't understand the blessing we have. Okay? But all of the lights staying on and the infrastructure that allows the internet to be strong and because Netflix most of the times works when you press on it, friends, that's all reflecting of God's creative glory and ingenuity. Did you know that? And so you have a purpose. You are supposed to image God and have dominion for him. Now, part of imaging him means you recognize his rule and reign and you are under him. That's part of imaging God. What we have done, our first parents, and then on down into 2022, we have rebelled against God being the ruler. And we said, no, we will make the decisions that are best for us. In other words, we will be true to ourselves. We will see what is most valuable and what is most real and authentic for a human being. And then we will express that. And God, you have no right to tell me who or what I should be or who uh, I should be with or what I should do with others. God, you just have no right to rule over me. But friends, here's, here's the lie from Satan. Satan knows that God holds our very breath. In him, the scripture says, we live and move and have our being. What that means is we don't get up in the morning without God's being involved in the gift of another day. See, we think because of the culture we live in, we are self-existent, we are keeping ourselves alive, and we are the captains of our own fate. We are the masters of our own soul. But friends, the truth is we are under God's rule and we don't want God to rule and reign over us. That's the truth. And friends, I feel it in me. I'm a pastor. Like I study the Bible, I teach, I counsel, I disciple. My whole life is surrounded by God and the Bible. And I'm constantly trying to get out from under his rule and do me. And I'm a pastor. And so I know that it's a great temptation for you. I know it. It's a great temptation for all of us. It was for our very first parents. God said, don't do this. Our enemy came along and said, look, God knows if you do this, it's going to go really well for you. And God's trying to hold you back. If you eat from this tree, you will be like God. You'll know good from evil. God is trying to suppress the goodness. He doesn't want to have competition. And if you will just eat from this tree, you'll be like him. The lie is, friends, we were already like him. And so the lie is you'll be like God. And Adam should have been like, I'm already in his image and you're not. And so what happens is, friends, in the creation order, we're supposed to rule over the animals. And what happens? We listen to the animals and they start ruling over us. We listened to the snake and submitted to it. It should have been the other way around. Now, let me give you a verse from Ecclesiastes, okay? Ecclesiastes, in my view, uh, it was written by King Solomon. Others think otherwise. It is in the wisdom genre of literature. 
Proverbs and parts of the Psalms fall into there. Song of Solomon also can fall into some of the wisdom literature. But in, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is trying to find what is meaningful in life. What can I do that will satisfy? And listen what he says in chapter three, verse 11. You ready? He is God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into men's heart, mankind there, men's hearts, mankind. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That same verse translated in the Christian Standard Bible says it like this. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity into their hearts, the human heart. But no one can discover the work of God, uh, the work God has done from beginning to end. What that means is this. We have an eternal longing inside of our hearts that cannot be filled by experiences, by people, by possessions, by vacations. You cannot get that internal eternity hole in you filled by anything else but God himself. And friends, myself included, it's always a temptation to look in other places for satisfaction and fulfillment when God all along is saying, come to me and I will satisfy you. You need an eternal being to fill an eternal hole in your soul. And you can stuff as much created, created things in that hole and it will never be filled. You need an eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, supreme being to fill that hole in your soul. He's put eternity into your heart. Now, what that also means is, even if you're an atheist in here, even if you're an agnostic, you're like, I don't know, maybe. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. Maybe Darwin was right. I don't know. Maybe. That's the atheist position, basically. Or the agnostic, rather. Even you, when it's dark and you're by yourself and you're up in the middle of the night, you have questions. What happens after I die? Is this life all there is? Is what I'm doing with my life mattering? And on and on, the existential, deep questions come. Why is that? God has put eternity into your hearts. The questions will haunt you. But friends, I want to encourage you that the Bible has answers to all those big questions. And we don't have time to unpack them all tonight. I would love to, we just don't have time. But know that eternity has been placed in your hearts by God. And when you know him through his son, Jesus Christ, you begin to understand your design, your makeup, your purpose, and your eternal destiny is secured and sure. You don't have to wonder. Okay? Now, I want to unpack for you baptism and we're done. Okay? Here it is. So Romans 6, 3 to 5 explains what baptism is. Okay? What are we doing with this giant tank of water in front of the church here? Okay? Here is how Paul, writing to the church at Rome, would explain what's going on with this giant tank of water. Ready? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Okay. Most of you have seen a cross. 
either at Easter or you've worn one, or if you're watching a horror movie, you've seen them flipped upside down and probably bleeding. You've seen a cross, okay? What is the cross all about? The cross was an execution tool in the first century uh, developed by the Romans to kill people publicly with. That's what the cross was. And Jesus Christ, a historical figure, claimed to be God. He claimed to be the creator, become man, to live perfect in place of all human beings who would ever trust in him. And then he went to the cross willingly. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. So he goes to the cross to pay for not his own sins, not the the wrong things he had done, but to pay for the sins of all those who would ever trust in him. That's what the cross is all about. And on the third day, God by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead. And he is resurrected and alive right now with the nails prints in his wrist and in his feet still. He is alive and he has promised to come back and take over the earth. Okay, that's what Christians believe. And here, what it says is when Jesus died there on the cross and was buried in the tomb, Christians are in a spiritual sense involved in that death. Why? Because as Jesus was dying on the cross and suffering for sin, do you know whose sin he was suffering for? Mine and yours, if you believe in him, if you trust him to forgive you of your sins, if you turn yourself over to him and say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. I no longer am all about self. I'm about Jesus. And friends, I understand what that means. That is impossible unless God is at work. And I believe that. And so I'll tell you like it is. When we are with Jesus in his death, the image is a baptism. Now the word baptize in the the language that the Bible was written in, the New Testament is Greek. It literally means to dunk or to plunge or to dip. So ancient ships in Greek Uh, first century, when they would sink, they would get baptized. When you would take a cloth that is white and want to dye it purple, you would baptize it in some kind of purple dye. And so the word baptized literally means to be immersed into. And so the picture here is when Jesus was dying, our old selves, if we're Christians, were also plunged into Jesus in his death. And when he died spiritually, we died. That old sinful self, that old rebellious, screw you God self died in Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that. Now look, that's a so that this would happen. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too We who are Christians, we too might walk in newness of life. The idea is when we die with him, Christians also rise with him and we live this new kind of life in a new kingdom. We reject the it's all about me and we say, no, it's all about he. That's what Christians say. We say it's no longer all about self. It's all about Christ. That's what we say. And friends, I'm making a sharp distinction so that you understand what's happening in baptism. The people getting baptized this evening are saying, I no longer belong to me, I belong to Jesus. That's what they're saying. 
And by getting baptized, here's the picture, friends. They're going to stand in this water and they're going to go backwards under the water, symbolizing a death, getting buried. And then they're going to rise up out of that water, symbolizing resurrection, union with Christ. As Jesus was dead and buried, so we are dead and buried. But as Jesus was risen, so we too are risen. Now, friends, the water and this symbol that you're about to witness does not save, and it is not the act that saves us. Rather, we are saved prior to baptism. Jesus has already paid for the sins of those getting baptized. They're just going to publicly show you the symbol of the reality they already have. Let me say that a different way. The baptism you're about to witness physically right now is just a physical symbol. It's a show. It's a display. It's a picture of the reality that they have. Think about a picture. When you see a picture of someone you love, or if you're, you know, like, like I was describing earlier, you're the selfie king or queen. You know, you look at that picture and you realize that's not really you, is it? That's an image of you. But yet in another sense, it is you, isn't it? Now, baptism is just a picture. It's not the reality of salvation, but it certainly is a picture of it. It's a picture of the reality that you possess in Christ. That's what's about to happen here. We're showing that we are united to Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And these friends who are getting baptized, according to this verse, have the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life. Four, verse five, if we have been united with him, In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This points to not only resurrected life now, here and now, but also a future resurrection where our very bodies that we live in now will be fully transformed and changed. Sin extracted and never to be able to get hurt again, get depressed again, get anxious again. Sin, basically. That's the promise of resurrection. And so that's what you're about to experience right now. These friends, these three friends are going to show you by physically getting baptized, they have this reality called union with Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Their identity now is in Christ. Okay, and I'm gonna explain that while our friends now, now's your time, friends. Uh, The three getting baptized, please head back and, and start to get dressed. Uh, Chris, if you want to follow Landon, he knows where to go for the guys. Kelly knows where to go. So you guys are separate. Um, They're going to come back out and we're going to do the baptizing. Okay. While they get dressed, I want to share with you one more thought. Okay. One more thought. I told you I was going to be quick, didn't I? I didn't lie. I usually go for about an hour here. All right. All right. Last thought. And then when they come out, we are going to, uh, baptize these friends. Okay. And I love this because they're actually going to share with you from their own mouths, their story, some a little bit shorter, some a little bit longer, but they're going to share with you why they want to get baptized and what it means. Okay. Each of them, which I'm so excited about. Now, as far as identity goes, remember back to the beginning of the message. Remember what we talked about Uh, be true to yourself, do you, that whole message. Did you know that Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission actually speaks to you having a new identity in Christ? Let me show you. 
Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he went up into heaven, before he ascended into heaven, and we are awaiting his return, he told his disciples to do something. It's called uh, a commission. He commissions them to a mission or a task. And it's great because it's big. And here's what he wants his disciples to do. He wants them to go and make other disciples. Disciple means apprentice. Disciple means learner. Disciple means you come under the tutelage and apprenticeship of another, namely Jesus. So Christians are disciples of Christ. We are under his lead. We are under his rule and reign. We are under his commands. And that's found later in this text. He says, the first thing you should do to a disciple, look at this, baptize them. Look at that. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. What do we do first? Baptize them. Why? Because it is the initiation rite, if you will. It's the very first symbolic gesture that says, I am different. I am new. I am no longer who I was. I am dead, buried, and resurrected. I am now under the lordship, which means ruler or authority, of another. I am no longer the one calling all the shots in my life. There's another doing that, namely Jesus Christ. And so the baptism is the first thing that we do as disciples, or at least it should be. I know in our culture, we can wait many years. But in the first century, it was like, let's get this done quick. Okay, you believe? All right, why shouldn't you be baptized? Like right now, okay? And so we baptize them. In what name? Now you realize that being true to yourself is all about kind of highlighting your name. It's all about me. I should be famous, I should be glorious, I should be well-known, I should be loved, me, me, me. Well, for the Christian, we are defined by another name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, there is identity. We have a new Father, and we're in a new family because our identity is in the Father, the capital F Father. We have a new identity in Jesus. That means that he is not only our big brother because the father is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a big brother. We're in a new family. But also we have a new source of righteousness, meaning uh, the actions that we do that God approves of. Okay? Jesus lived perfectly in our place and he gives that perfect living to us as a gift. What defines Jesus now defines the Christian our identity is in Christ. As he is righteous before God, I am righteous. As he never sinned in Christ, I have never sinned. Now me outside of Christ, I'm a mess. Me in Christ, I'm all good. I'm covered. Okay. Same with those getting baptized. They're saying Jesus defines me now. No longer does my sin define me. No longer does my old self define me. No longer do my accomplishments define me. No longer do X, Y, Z define me. Jesus defines me. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit. This is a new power to live a transformed and resurrected life. The Holy Spirit enables Christians to live differently. And it is a slow ongoing process that kind of never ends until you die, unfortunately. But over the years, over the decades, we stay in Christ and the Holy Spirit changes and transforms us. Okay. And so we are now defined as Christians by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a new identity. Therefore, we no longer have to prove ourselves to anyone else. 
Someone with a healthy Christian identity does not feel the need to get approval and praise and try to get small g empty glory from others because they know they have it all in Christ. Because his opinion is the most weighty in the universe and he gives it to us freely. We have a new identity. And then we're supposed to not just live in that sphere of life, but we're then supposed to go and multiply ourselves. So what, what is the mission that Christians are on? We are to spread this good news and see others come to Christ, see their lives transformed, see them get a new identity. And then we look, teach them to obey. That means we no longer call the shots. Jesus gets to call the shots. Now friends, it's a war. Any Christian in this room who's honest will say, I fight with my sin daily. Every day it's a war. But friends, there is victory in Christ. And as the years move forward, we get more and more victory over our sinful urges, desires. It's called temptations. And so we teach others to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. I'm going to be with you. You're not alone. I will, I will be with you wherever you go as you go and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all I've commanded. Okay? And so what you're seeing here is these friends dying to self, dying to their sin, rising in Christ new and resurrected. And they are saying, now I am under the authority and power and lordship of Jesus. He calls the shots now, I don't. Okay? And again, that's a war. That's not an easy thing. That is a struggle as we live the Christian life. And so my, my friend Eugene's going to come up. He's, he's our lead deacon here. He's going to get the ladder, and we're going to put the ladder into the water. And the first person that's going to get baptized, his name is Landon. He's the youngest among us uh, who's getting baptized tonight. So, so family of, of Landon, you might want to get your phones out soon because he's going he's gonna to jump in. But as, as Landon uh, gets ready, we have his video, his testimony recorded here, okay? So he's going to stand in the water. He's going to either look at you all if he's brave or look at the floor if he's not. We'll see. Go ahead, you can put it in, brother. Um, and then we're going to show his video. And after his video... Uh, we're going to put him under the water, again, all the way under the water, symbolizing burial, and then he's going to come up out of the water, symbolizing resurrection, okay? So Landon, you want to come up, buddy? Now, friends, this is a, a very celebratory event here. We should not be solemn. We should not be sad. We should be celebrating because Jesus has saved a young one, and he... He is brave and is going to stand in front of a whole crowd of people and pledge allegiance to Jesus in front of all of you. So Landon, as you get in the water, So, so before you all got here, we were literally boiling pots of water and, and dumping them in here, warming up the baptismal tank. Uh, so what we're going to do is real quick, we're going to watch Landon's video together and we're going to pray that the audio is strong. If not, we're going to make it strong. 
So please pay attention to the screen up here. Hi, my name is Landon Ernst, and this is my story. God has got me to where I am right now by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He also helped me get through my hard times and my easy times. I also want to walk in his path with him, and I want to dedicate my life to him by getting baptized. All right. All right. So, buddy, I want you to hold your nose and then hold your breath and bend your knees when I take you back, okay? All right, Landon, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ in front of God, importantly, and these witnesses, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job, buddy. All right, Landon. It's not as cold as Landon said it was. <laughs> Okay, friends, we are going to now listen to Chris's testimony. It's just a little long, but notice he's a little taller and has lived a little longer. Okay, and so his, his story's a little more complex, but I'm really thankful that Chris was willing to share his life publicly the way he's about to do now. So Chris, thank you. Hi, I'm Christopher Easley. Uh, I live in East Pittsburgh, 29 years old, and I'm going to... Um, share my story on how I was saved. There's two points in my life that I feel is significant to my salvation. The first one is when I met my wife in 2015. Um, at that point in my life, I was going through a lot of things. I was depressed. I didn't have a sense of purpose. Um, I didn't know really like who I was and what I was meant to do or, or be. And, um, my wife invited me to go to church, which I decided to go, and I decided to have an open mind when I went. And um, the first time I went, I enjoyed it. Uh, so, but it took a while. Like three months later, I decided to walk up to the altar and give my life to Christ. I knew, I knew that I was broken. I knew that I needed. To be saved, I knew I needed help to be saved, but it, it 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 took a while for things to start changing. Um, I was still partying, uh, getting drunk, um, doing and selling drugs. Uh, I was watching porn, um, fornicating. Uh, I was pretty much living in in, my, in the flesh. Four years later. My wife's mom ended up sh uh, sharing a video, uh, which was a seven-day Adventist video that I didn't know anything about at the time, but it um, it straight blew my mind because it was talking about fulfilled prophecies that I never knew about. And um, after that, it, it caused me to go on a deep dive for about three months, which 
gave me all the answers I needed in order to clear up all my doubts that I had about Christianity. I started to read the Bible more, um, which caused the Holy Spirit to start convicting me on my lifestyle, which I stopped getting drunk. I stopped doing and selling drugs. I was freed from my addiction of pornography. I ended up reading a book that a friend told me about called Relationship Goals, which gave me the urgency to uh, get married and stop fornicating. I believe like four months after that, I ended up getting married. And then after I got married eight months after that, my wife ended up getting pregnant, which was um, significant because we were trying to have a baby for about four, four or five years. I feel like once I started to walk in obedience uh, to God, everything just started to change. And as the Lord is continued to guide me to walk with him, it led me to Eternal City Church, which then led me to feel the conviction to be baptized. And then I would say about maybe eight months in of just being around this church, um, I finally got the opportunity to be baptized. So I want to thank Internal City Church for this opportunity and appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Man, Chris, thank you so much for your story. It's a powerful story, isn't it? I'm going to ask Brett to help me here because he's a little bigger than, uh, than Landon. And I don't want to drop you and drown you, brother. We want, we want this to be a, a celebratory thing here. Okay. So our brother Brett's going to help. Brother, I'm going to ask you to hold your nose. And we're going to put you under the water, so make sure you bend your knees. Chris, because of your public profession of faith in Jesus and your desire to be baptized, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. No, bro. Congratulations. So Kelly is actually going to do her story live. And then Ford, where are you at, friend? You up here? Okay. Okay. So Kelly is married to Ford, and they have a newborn named Ford. There he is. He's excited, too, about his mom getting baptized. Would you like me to hold the mic, or do you want to hold it? Okay, don't electrocute yourself. I'm, no, it's not. I'm just kidding. don't know me, Pastor Chris said. My name is Kelly, uh, and my story starts uh, at, at a very young age, actually. I can recall having uh, a close relationship with and uh, faith in God uh, when I was very young. I was raised Catholic, um, but as I got older and I was less sheltered from the corruptions of the world, including the corruption within the Catholic Church, uh, I turned away from it all. I turned away from God. And uh, 
I thought that if I no longer aligned with the Catholic views, that must mean I don't believe in God anymore. And it was on my second encounter with uh, my now husband and father of our son, Ford, who's also named Ford, um, he, that he explained to me, I can believe in God and, and not be Catholic. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't realize that um, on my own. But alas, life was immediately different uh, from that moment on. Not to say that it got easier, um, because we've gone through some of the hardest days of my life in the last two years. But life is absolutely richer and full of purpose. I no longer carry the burden of thinking that my future is in my control. And so I'm able to be in the moment more and leave the rest to God. I'm going to steal my husband's words um, to explain why Christianity is what makes that possible. And that is that it's a complete story with Jesus being the theme. He walked the earth as a perfect example of a man, died for our sins to show God's mercy and forgiveness, rose from the dead to show God's ultimate power, and then descended in spirit to live in our hearts and care for our souls, my soul. I don't know as much as I want to yet, but I consider this baptism an important step toward growing in my understanding. And so here I am with the help of Pastor Chris and the members of Eternal City Church. Thank you. Friends, uh, Ford is actually going to do the baptizing here. Uh, he was very instrumental in Kelly coming to faith. They've had many gospel conversations for many uh, uh, years. Uh, and so he's going to do the baptizing. I'm just going to assist, okay? So Ford is actually going to be the one to baptize her in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So my encouragement would be hold your nose so you don't get any. Okay. Kelly Marie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Good job, girl. Excellent. Congratulations, Kelly. Thank you for sharing your story. Congratulations, Chris, wherever you are. Congratulations, Landon. Thank you, friends, for being so vulnerable and honest before a whole crowd of people. That's not an easy thing to do. So thank you for sharing your story of how Jesus has saved you. And now as the worship team comes up, uh, they're going to get ready to lead us in our final song while our friends uh, get dry and get dressed. And then, as I said earlier at the very beginning, some of you weren't here. So what we're going to do right after we say amen after our last song is this room is going to be changed and transformed into a dining room. And so my encouragement would be if you're here please stay for dinner, okay? There, there is a ton of food in the back and uh, we have a whole crew of people who are going to move the chairs and bring out tables and, and get this into a dining room setting very quickly. Uh, so please, if you're here, we invite you stay and hang out with us. 
get to know some people uh, and, and enjoy a good meal. And we're celebrating the baptisms of our uh, three friends here. So as the worship team comes out, I would encourage you all to stand for our last song. And when they say amen, when Eddie prays the final prayer and says amen, our service here is concluded and you are free to hang out and talk. Uh, There's some refreshments in the back. If you can't wait, there's some water up there. Uh, But just know there's going to be a lot of food here in probably about 10, 15 minutes. Okay.